Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I am very, very, um, it's the word I'm looking for, very grateful for this opportunity to make Wednesday nights more of a teaching night. Uh, I don't know if, if you realize this. I, I'm sure most of us in this room do. But for those of you that are newcomers, not only to New Beginnings, but newcomers to the faith, understand that th- th- it's a foolish to have any expectation of changing your life apart from the Word of God. The Word of God is the agent of change in our lives. It's the Word of God that reveals the Father to us. It's the Word of God that teaches us about Jesus and about his mission here to the earth and and what he came to accomplish. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation of our faith. You know, we can have an experience of being born again based on maybe a couple of scriptures. But if we don't become students of the Word, then that's as far as you can go in that relationship. Your growth, your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, just your ability to have success in life in general is going to be based on how much of the Word of God has become your belief system. Now, now there's people that get born again. They receive Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside them. But they have very limited exposure to the Word of God. And therefore, they don't not experience the, the transformation, the regeneration. It happens in the Spirit, but it never gets a chance to affect the soul. And so that's why we know of people that... that uh, they're going to heaven. They're going to go to heaven because they received Christ and Jesus is living in, and his spirit's living in their, in their spirit. But here on the earth, they don't act any different. Now, I know I'm not talking to anybody in here because we're all Bible students, right? We're all students of the word. Let me see, let me see. How many of you desire to be students of the word? Come on, start putting something out in front of you so you got a goal to work towards, okay? Truthfully, uh, I thank God regularly that he, by his spirit, led me to a church uh, 35 years ago that was anchored in the word of God. I mean, we, we, the emphasis was the word, the word, the word, the word, Holy Spirit. You listening to me? The word, the word, the word, the word, and the Holy Spirit. Not, I'm not minimizing the Holy Spirit, but understand this. The Holy Spirit's main function on the earth In this dispensation, in this dispensation I'm talking about, from the time that Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to when the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the earth, because you know he's here now, right? You know, if you went to heaven right now, you see Jesus, the Father's there, but where's the Holy Spirit? He's here. Where is he? Where does he live? You are temples of the Holy Ghost, Paul said. You see what I'm saying? Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit as the teacher. So the main manifestation we should expect to see of the Holy Spirit here on the earth in the church age is the teacher. Yes or no? Okay, because without the teaching of the word, we don't really understand much about anything. Now, I'm going to get into the message for tonight, this teaching. I'm going to ask you to please pay attention because I'm going to present to you tonight a concept that's going to cause you to sit there and go, oh, that's how I messed up. 
That's where it went wrong. That's where I took the wrong turn. You know what I'm saying? And it's okay to do that. Now, listen, don't dwell on the mistakes. Turn to somebody and say, don't dwell on it. But, but we can learn from them, right? I'm telling you, some of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life is what not to do again. Amen? Now, what we're going to find tonight that we're going to realize that every major mistake that we made, every wrong turn that we took, was because we did not go to the Lord and did not go to the Word. When we rely on ourselves, when we rely on our own um, abilities, when we rely on our own understanding, when we rely on and, and, and are moved by and become affected by the things that surround us, instead of going to God, you're going to make mistakes. Amen? So, some of us, we obsess over the old days, the good old days, the good old days, the good old days, especially now I'm coming into that season of life now where I'm very aware when people start talking about the good old days. And I say, well, I don't know, I've been around 62 years. I don't remember when these good old days were. <laughs> what day was that? Because all I could remember is struggle and, and pressure and anxiety and pressing through. I said, well, you're a Christian. Yeah, I know. And how many of you know, even as a Christian, life is still tough? Let me say, thank God we don't have too many delusional people here tonight. <laughs> I say this all the time. I say, dear God, it's tough enough walking on the earth, having a knowledge of the word, having a relationship with Jesus, having the Holy Spirit live inside you. What do these people do that don't have this connection? How do you go through life? You, you see what I'm saying? And so now, now watch this now, now. Now we have the word at our disposal. Can I? We have the word at our disposal. Now granted, you say, well, you got your iPad. Yeah, but my iPad is loaded with the word. Okay, so please, on Wednesday nights, please bring your Bible, because I don't want you to take what I'm saying at face value. I want you to be able to, because that's how you're going to become a student of the Word. The first five to ten years that I was a Christian, and again, thank God, the church I was in was a church that preached the Word, taught the Word, just in depth. I would sit there on the edge of my seat. I mean, this went on for years. Sit on the edge of my seat and go, can't believe this. We had been blessed with such great teachers, and I'm so thankful that I got to sit under. And I say, when I say sit under, I got to sit in the presence and, and listen to some of the most great, the greatest teachers in this local area. Some of them are in different churches today, but I thank God for them, for the stuff that they planted in my life and planted in my heart. In addition to that, I thank God for the awesome Bible teachers that I was exposed to through many of my friends that taught the word. Brother Kenneth Hagin, who I had the pleasure to go to that Bible school, my wife and I and many others here in leadership. Amazing teacher of the word. Sat under some of the greatest teachers, Bible teachers in the United States in the past few decades. Listen to me. It's all about teaching the word, okay? It's nice when we have the experiences. It's nice when we get the Holy Ghost goosebumps. But let me tell you something. Holy Ghost goosebumps don't change anybody. They refresh us. Holy Spirit experiences refresh us. But the way we mature is through the Word. Amen? Um, I know this is not in my notes, and I'm, I'm throwing you a little curve here. But can you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17? You know, I have my men's connect group on Tuesday mornings 
And uh, yesterday morning, we got a great group of, group of guys that come. If you're available at 7.30 on Tuesday mornings, please come and join us. Say 7.30. Yes, yeah, 7.30. <laughs> Why'd you do it 7.30? Because I only want people there that want to be there. If you can come, come. We spent the majority of the time yesterday talking about this scripture. All scripture. We're talking about, what are we talking about? The importance of the word. Are, are you following me? The importance of the word. Okay, watch this now. All scripture is God-breathed. Your translation might say inspired, but the original Greek language, it says oh, God-breathed. Okay, just like when God breathed into Adam. Remember, Adam was nothing but a pile of dirt until God breathed into him. Okay? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Watch this, teaching. Your, scripture, your translation might say doctrine. Rebuking, correcting, and training in what? In right- now, that's not our righteousness. That's his righteousness. That's his righteousness. Okay, next verse. So that the servant of God, how many servants of God do I have in here tonight? Just a few. How many slouches of God do I have in here tonight? How many servants of God do I have in here tonight? So this applies to you. So that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we can flip this around and say, if, if you're not subjecting yourself to the word, if you're not absorbing the word, if you're not digesting the word, then you're not going to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when we're not thoroughly equipped for every good work, we make mistakes. Amen? So, we talk about the good old days. We talk about we long for the days of stability. Again, what day that was, I don't remember. And if this, you know, we talk about the times, the time of life on earth. When has there ever been a time of life on earth when it's been stable? You, you look at the news. You look at, at, at stuff on the internet. And, so, and it just, it rattles you. And it just keeps coming. You notice how it keeps coming at you? Like you have six versions of the same report come at you. Like in case you ignored this one, we want to make sure. In case, in case we, wouldn't, we didn't rattle you enough, let me give it to you three, four more times. And so we long for stability. I don't know about you. How many long for stability? Dear God, stability. And stability is not found in a season of life. It's not found in an era. It's found in a person and his work. Stability requires us to be anchored to an immovable object, one that is not moved by storms or earthquakes of life. And that rock, that immovable one, is God Almighty. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock. Let's say this together. This sounds good. Let's say this together. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of what? Safety. You're not going to find it in anything else. You're not going to find it in anyone else. You're going to find your stability your rock solidness, your ability to stand in the midst of every storm is going to come because you are connected to the immovable one. Amen? We can find comfort in the fact that we can all call out on him in any, in any emergency or any difficulty we face. Psalm 18.3, I called on the Lord who was worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out. Now, watch this now. Watch this. Look, look at verse 6. But in my what? 
In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Pastor. Thank God he delivered me from the snares of the enemy. Yeah. Uh, I stayed up all night crying out to God because of the disaster I faced, and he saved me. None of us have an issue with crying out to God in the midst of our distress. Yes or no? But what about everyday life? I think some of the worst things that can happen to us, and trust me, I'm no glutton for punishment, and I'm not looking for, for battles all the time. But I think sometimes when things are going too well, you know where I'm going with this, right? When, when, when the enemy's not breathing down your neck, when the kids are not sick, when your job is secure, you got a couple of bucks in the bank, refrigerator's full, got two gallons of ice cream in there, not just one. <laughs> what happens? We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to go, oh, okay, I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. And that's when we get in trouble. Think about King David. It says in the springtime, when the kings go out to war, where is he? He's on, he's on the roof of his house, not minding his own business. He looks next door. His neighbor's got a jacuzzi in the backyard. Right? His, his neighbor's wife is in the jacuzzi. She doesn't realize that the king, his house is a little bit higher than hers. And uh, David's getting an eyeful. Now, when did he get in trouble? When he was out in the middle of battle? No, he got in trouble when he was home, relaxing. When he's kicking back. And he's taking it easy. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? That we always need to be stressed? And... No, of course not. What I'm saying is it just, life continues to happen. The devil doesn't sleep. And neither do life circumstances. There's always stuff coming at us to one degree or another. And when we start kicking back and we realize, yeah, that's, everything's good now. Everything's good now. That's when we get in trouble. Because we don't seek after him. We don't, we don't press in. We don't start spending time early in the morning with God. We kick back and go on vacation. So, so what I'm asking is this, what about the day in and day out routine of life? What about, what about calling on him? What about asking him about what job to take? Well, you don't understand it's twice the amount of money. Yeah, it's also going to be twice the amount of aggravation and twice the amount of time. It may be take you away from your family. I'm talking to somebody tonight. Don't measure things by natural circumstances. You better hear on the inside when you're going to make a decision. You better ask God if you should take that job. So many people transfer. They go from one place to the other. Last thing they think about. Now, and I'll say this all the time. Well, well did you, you know, it's great. The school system is fantastic. You don't understand. Pastor, I get a house down there for a third of what it costs up here. Taxes are 25 cents a year. You know? <laughs> And my first question will be, did you find a church there? And you see the look on the face like, oh, man, I just got, I really got caught here. I didn't think about that. Yeah, of course you didn't think about that because all you're looking at is the good, oh, the, the money, the opportunity, the school system, the, the houses. And what good is that if you've got no place to fellowship and you've got no place to go and, and, and hear the word and worship together? Yeah, you can read your own Bible. Sure you can. 
But there's something different when the body of Christ, when the, when the family of God comes together to worship and to hear the corporate teaching of the word. And, and besides that, where, where are you going to give your money? Where are you going to give? Where are you going to invest? Where are you going to put your time? You hear what I'm saying? There's a lot to think about. But what about, what about uh, you get some kind of a sickness, some kind of a something, abnormality. Should you not be praying to what doctor to go to? I'm not even going to say don't go to the doctor. Trust me. There'd be a lot of Christians dead today if it wasn't for doctors. But what about praying? God, can you, can you lead me to the right doctor? Can you lead me to the specialist? Father, can you? there's so many times people come up here for prayer. First time this happened, it shocked me because I thought I'm not supposed to pray that way. I found, I opened my mouth, I was praying for somebody. It might have been somebody here tonight. And, and I, uh, I started to say this, Father, give them wisdom to know what they need to do in the natural to change this situation. And I went, what did I just say? I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to like, it's got to be a miracle from God. Well, a miracle is God, from God is that when the Holy Spirit teaches you on the inside, stop eating that, stop drinking that, stop doing this, stop doing that, and then your situation turns around. That's, isn't that just as so much a miracle? I don't care. As long as I get healed, I don't care how it happens. So, but, but you see, it's in the routine decisions that we're missing it. It's in the little things. It's the little decisions that we make that lead us and set us up to make the wrong big decisions. So, all throughout the Word of God, we see individuals who knew how to shout out to God in the, in the middle of an emergency, who knew how to shout out to God when, man, all hell was breaking loose. But when things got easy, they forgot and they made big mistakes. So, Joshua, let's talk about Joshua. Joshua was a young man when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He's, he's Moses' right-hand man. Now, he didn't realize at the time that he was being prepped and mentored to be able to take Moses' place when Moses went home to be with the Lord. So, you know the story. Moses dies. Joshua is in charge now. Okay. And the very first, some of the very first words in the book of Joshua, chapter one, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you take the people in. Joshua's job. Moses' job was get them out of Egypt, but it's Joshua's job to bring them in. Amen? So, by chapter nine of the book of Joshua, Dave, don't ruin it. I know you know where I'm going, but don't ruin it. By chapter 9, he's seen Jericho fall. He's seen every other city that they've had to take and come against, be delivered into their hands. He's seen. He's seen it. He's, he's gone through the battles. He's fought the battles, but he's seen God come through every time. He's seen God answer prayer over and over again, one crisis after another. And sometimes, listen, here's what we got to watch. Sometimes we get so crisis-oriented Anybody know anybody who's not, they're not going from glory to glory to go from crisis to crisis. Anybody know people in here? Anybody been one of those people here? Go from crisis to crisis to crisis. In fact, if it wasn't for crisis, you wake up in the morning and think that you died, like something's wrong. It's no crisis. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you be, sometimes you can become so crisis-oriented that we forget that God wants to be God in our everyday life even when there is no emergency. 
So we see in Joshua chapter 9, Joshua and the leaders of Israel make a tremendous mistake. And I have to believe it's because they let their guard down. You know, sometimes success is more deadly and fatal than failure. Failure will keep you pressing on. But sometimes when you succeed, I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in pastors' lives. They get to a place where they accomplish something and then they, and I go, oh my God, oh Jesus. And then everything, all hell breaks loose. Everything starts to crumble. Because they settled in the success. It's not good. Don't do that. Don't, don't. I'm not only talking to ministers, I'm talking to heads of the households. Don't do not. We do not arrive until we get to heaven. Amen? You didn't like that one. It didn't go over too good. We do not arrive until we get to heaven. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3, they're, 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 they're in the promised land now. They're starting to take more and more territory in the promised land. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gibeon is a, is a region in that area, heard what Joshua had done in Jericho, what did Joshua do in Jericho? The walls, God, he followed God's instructions, and the walls came down, and they took Jericho, biggest city in that region. So when, when Gibeon, the, the, the village of Gibeon, the Gibeonites, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, Ai was the next city that got destroyed after Jericho. Verse 4, the people of Gibeon, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. What, what did they do here? They got dressed up as if they had traveled a long distance to get to Joshua. You catching this? And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. In other words, make a treaty with us. Make an agreement with us, okay? We have come from a far country. Therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, the people from Gibeon, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where did you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country. Now notice, Joshua inquires of the people, but Joshua doesn't inquire of God. Are you listening to me? How many of you know people lie sometimes? Have you ever encountered, let me see, how many of you have encountered people that lie in your life? Some of you don't want to raise your hand because you're going. <laughs> so they said, that we come from far countries. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, liars. For we have heard of his fame and all he did in Egypt. That's true. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, they're talking about one of the battles that they fought when they came out of Egypt to all these guys who was at Asheroth. Verse 11, therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you from the journey, for the journey and go meet them, talking about Joshua and Israel, and say to them, we are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Verse 12, here's where it gets real dramatic. 
this bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins which were filled were new, and see, they are torn. And these garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions. So now, now they're going to examine the evidence, but they're still not praying. How many of you know evidence lies? So the, the men of Israel took from their provisions. They probably got inside and talked to them. Yeah, this bread is disgusting. It's all full of mold. They must have been traveling for weeks. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore, not only did Joshua swear, but all the leadership of the nation of Israel swore and made a covenant. Now, there's one thing you got to say about covenant. Covenant today is lost in our culture. In our society, we have very little, very little remnant of covenant mentality and ideas, principles. But back then, you made a covenant. If you broke that covenant, the people that you broke covenant with have the legal right to come and kill you. They are sworn now and obligated to keep their word to these people. What a big mistake. Their, their decision was based strictly on what they saw in the natural, in natural circumstances combined. We can really be deceived when we only look at what's in front of us and we don't talk to God about the situation. Verse 16, and it happened at the end of three days after they had made covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and all the rest of these other places. Verse 18, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Now, now they made a big mistake. Now, not only are they obligated to, to protect these other people, they're obligated to not attack them, not wipe them out, which is God gave them the command, go into the land, wipe out everyone who is an idol worshiper. Now they've got to live with them. Did you, did you ever make a decision and you've got to live with it? Did you ever make a mistake and you got to live with it? Just, just me and you. Okay. Just me and you. Verse 19, then all the rulers said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live. Watch here. What are they talking about? Covenant, punishment, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them become woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as their rulers had promised them. We'll let them live. You know, they're, they're responsible for this too because it deceived us. So, so they're going to have, and their life isn't going to be easy for them, but they're going to live. They're going to live. And so you say, well, it didn't turn out so bad. After all, now they got slaves, they got people, they got servants, they got people who work for them. It doesn't end there. at a time when it was critical for Joshua to pray and to seek God. He and his leaders with him decided they would rely on natural evidence rather than get God's wisdom. He, watch this now. He let a false peace deceive him. False peace. You know, stuff, sometimes stuff's not gonna scream in your face. 
Sometimes you've got to get quiet and you've got to really on the inside. Now, now watch this now. Joshua did not have the Holy Spirit living in him. Nobody in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit living in them. That is specific to this age that we live in. You and I have the Holy Spirit living inside us. Now, Joshua wasn't left out in the cold. He could have still prayed and God would have shown him either through some sign or, or some message or he would have sent a prophet to him or done something. That's Old Testament way of God dealing with us. Now, here in this dispensation, we're without excuse. We don't have to travel to a temple. We don't have to travel to a, a tent in the desert. We don't have to go and make a pilgrimage someplace. We don't have to look for a sign. Oh, dear God, when I walk out of the house, let six black cats pass in front of me. So many foolish prayers that we pray sometimes. Well, well why not, Pastor? Because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, his spirit is living inside you. The person that's going to give you the answer or the guidance or direction lives in you. You don't need to have a sign. You don't have to, you have, to have a double rainbow when you're going down the road. Now, I'm not mocking any of that stuff, but it's nice. It's beautiful. It's wonderful when God confirms things. But you have him on the inside. Are you listening? Just take some time. Amen? So, well, what's the big deal, Pastor? It didn't turn out that bad. Yeah, well, let's go to Joshua chapter 10, verse 3. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, Lord Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to that guy in Hebron, the other guy in Jarmuth, this other one in Lachish, and the other guy in Eglon. So we got one, two, three, four, five kings. Am I right? Five. Five kings now hear what the Gibeonites did, and now they're angry at the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites made a treaty with Joshua and Israel. So now they're going to punish the Gibeonites for the treaty that they made with Joshua. Watch what happens. Therefore, here it says right here, therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, and all these other guys, gathered together and went up. They and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. How do you think the Gibeonites reacted? You think they got all nervous? They're like, uh, yeah, this is a challenge. But guess what? We're in covenant with Joshua. And Joshua, Joshua, the one who just destroyed Jericho and Ai. We're in covenant with the Israelites. Remember the Israelites, the ones that their God destroyed Egypt? The one who parted the Red Sea? That's who we're in covenant with, they're thinking. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, do not forsake your servants. <laughs> Here it comes. Here's the hook. Do not, forget, do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Listen, folks, sad fact. When we make decisions without consulting the Lord, without praying and without hearing, we're stuck with the consequences of those decisions. Be very aware of what you place yourself in covenant with. Be very aware of who you place yourself in covenant with. Don't just get involved in relationships. You pray. 
don't just, don't just get involved, especially in the romantic. Don't just get involved. But he's so hot. <laughs> She's so hot. So was Delilah. I would imagine Jezebel was no dog either, even though she ended up getting eaten by dogs. The devil does not show up in your house with a pitchfork and red pajamas. You, are you listening to me? Be careful what agreements you make because you're going to have to live with those consequences. They don't rely on their natural senses. They made a decision that could have cost them everything. And God, listen, listen. This is a fact that most people don't want to admit. We don't want to admit because we don't want to see God this way. God will make you live with those decisions. Now, now watch now. If you repent, he'll give you the grace. You remember that word? Yes. How many know what repent means? To, to turn around and go in the opposite direction. Okay? And when we repent, God's grace will be there because he knew you were going to do it anyway. But how much better would it have been if you would have listened to the inside? When, when on the inside, especially us as, as, as New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit's in there going, eh, 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 You hear what I'm saying? He's in there. He's in there for our safety. He's in there to seal us from the contaminations of this world. I'm going to say something here, and please don't, 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 don't anybody. I'm not saying this to offend anybody. I'm talking out of life experience. When somebody approaches you with another scheme, with another get-rich-quick thing, especially when they say, oh, you don't understand, they're all Christians in this company. <laughs> How many of you have heard that? How many of you have heard that? Oh, no, you don't understand, they're all Christians in this company. Now, I'm not saying that God will never leave you, lead you in that way, but it's, if he leads you in that way, it's not going to be because the, the head of the company made $20 million last week. It's going to be because that is his path for your life. But you better find out what you get yourself involved in before you get involved. Okay? Can I touch another one? How many, how many say, I love my pastor? Because he tells me the truth, whether it feels good or not. So the only ones that love me are the ones that raised their hand and said that. <laughs> Dear God, before you go on these dating sites, pray. Pray. Amen. And, if one, and listen to me. I know there's some people that it's worked out wonderfully, and thank God for that. Because honestly, where's a Christian going to meet people today? Where? If you don't meet them in church, where are you going to meet them? What, in some bar someplace? You know what I'm saying? Please. And if, if as soon as you start to get to know each other, you now are being asked for money, shut the computer off. Am I talking right tonight? Don't hook up with the Gibeonites. But, but, but they were so nice. I felt like I knew them my whole life. You met them on Monday. It's Wednesday. And you don't even know that you could be talking to a robot. You don't even know if it's a real person. It could be a 12-year-old kid. Yeah, but I saw their picture. 
Come on. Pray. Pray. How many people are getting scammed today? Because they're moved by natural. The picture, oh my God, this guy's so hot. Now that one, it's like hot. You don't even know if you took that picture off of somebody else's site. You got the picture there, you got the, what is it? The, was it Cooper Bradley? Bradley Cooper, what's his name? Bradley Cooper, the guy shows up, he's like a five foot both ways. More bald than I am. Six warts on his nose. Looked like Rumpelstinskin showed up. Oh, the picture was, yeah, the picture was so hot, but you're not in a relationship with the picture. I can't tell you how many times we have to counsel people through this stuff to get scammed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Pray. Pray. You got the Holy Ghost inside you. And if you get any kind of, this doesn't feel right, run. Run. Get off that site. Take your name out. Shut your computer off for a month. How many of you know I'm talking, right? James chapter 1, verse 5. Good, good practical stuff tonight, right? Because the, uh, the Word of God is practical. The Word of God's not super spiritual. The Word of God ain't going to make you weird. If you're weird because you were a weirdo, the Word of God doesn't make you weird. The Word of God is practical. I mean, was Jesus a weirdo? Was Paul a weirdo? Judas? James chapter 1, verse 5. You learning anything tonight? You're going to have to live with them Gibeonites. If you need wisdom, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm used to this in New King James, but I'm going to read the New Living Translation. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone, not in the moldy bread, not in the worn-out clothes, not in the worn-out shoes that they wore, but that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Look at verse 7. Most of us stop there. Look at verse 7. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are un unstable in everything they do. Unstable. You can't have stability outside of the Word of God. If you're going to depend on your own natural wisdom, then you're going to have instability in your life. Why? I don't know if you realize this or not, because it's pretty much true for all of us. We don't know everything. I don't know if that comes as a surprise to you. We don't know everything. And the most dangerous thing is we don't know what we don't know. That's the most dangerous. We don't know what we don't know. So this is, some of us are living our lives with those, like the bumper cars. How I many you know the bumper cars? They used to have them on the boardwalk. I don't know if they still bumper cars. That's how they live, like boom. Oh, oh, back up, excuse me, back, boom, boom. You're killing everybody in your way. How frustrating. I can't go on a ride like that. I cannot go, it's too frustrating. It's bad enough in, in traffic. I can't, bumper car, I can't take it. Get me out of this thing, let me go home. I don't even care if you give my money back, just... Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty, or we could put it this way, their trust, their faith 
is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Divided loyalty means you're putting more confidence on natural knowledge and wisdom rather than in God. It's a lack of godly priority. What do I do? Pray. Pray. Your prayer life at home is the most important thing. I'm not, I'm not impressed when people, when we pray publicly. I mean, it's nice. I'm not impressed by it. I'm impressed by a person's prayer life that they have at home between them and God. You listening to me? Because if there's nothing going on at home, there's nothing going on outside. Your prayer life at home is the most important thing. And unfortunately, that's the thing that gets neglected the most. Pray. Well, I don't know how. He'll teach you. You just, you just set aside time. You set time aside. He'll teach you. God responds to a hungry heart. God responds to a person who's seeking truth. God responds to an individual who wants to talk to him. And you don't have to use King James English when you talk to God. Oh, thou wonderful, magnificent father. <laughs> Inquire of God. Do whatever you need to do in order to get God involved in your decisions. And don't wait until it's a disaster. Pray first. My wife and I, we go out to eat. When we go out to eat, some of you have been with us. I don't wait till they bring the food. It's too late by then. We pray as soon as we place the order, as soon as the waiter or waitress walks away, we pray. Father, make sure that their hands find the right stuff. Make sure that they stay away from anything harmful. Father, watch over. You promise in your word that you bless what we eat, bless what we drink, and you're going to keep sickness far away. I need that man. I want them to pick the right stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to have to pray six hours later. Oh, Jesus. Pray. There may be some devil working in that kitchen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Oh, man, if you don't get anything else tonight, get this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Man, we're guilty on that one. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Verse 7, usually we like to stop at verse 6. It's nice, sounds good. Do not be wise in your own eyes. You think he knows us? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So when we seek God, not only does it, not only does it affect the decisions we make, not only does he put us in the right path, but it affects our health. It affects our health. Why? Why? Why do you think it affects our health? Because now I'm secure that what I'm walking out, God has ordained for me. So what does it do? It relieves the anxiety. It relieves the stress. I'm not worried now. I'm not up sick all night because, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? So it obviously affects our health. It is amazing how much stress affects our bodies how much it affects our soul, our our mental capacity. He knows us. He's created us. When we live a life of never acknowledging God, of always relying on our own understanding, our path is undirected. Do you ever ever meet people like this? no, No sense of purpose in life, no sense of direction in life. It's tough especially if you have to live with them. 
It's tough, especially if you have to support them. I can't, I can't tell you the stories. I know there's probably dozens of them in here. Parents are heartbroken because their kids are just all over the place. Heartbroken. No, no, no goals, no purpose, no direction, no, no motivation. Maybe if we taught them these principles, maybe we'd see a difference. Instead, we got grandparents, 60, 70 years old, having to raise their kids, their grandkids. I don't care who you are. There's a reason why you have kids when you're young. <laughs> you grandparents know what I'm talking about. Hey, it's been great for the past couple hours. Bye. <laughs> we'll see you next month. So listen, one of the saddest verses of Scripture in the Old Testament is a reference to King Saul, first king of Israel. Wasn't, wasn't the best. After his death, after he dies, David takes over as king. David eventually captures Jerusalem. He makes it the capital. And he makes it the place where the worship of God would be centered. And in order to, re- to pay respect to God, he decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant, remember the, one that, remember the one that Moses built, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. He decided he's going to take it from this little tent that it was in in Shiloh, and he's going to now bring it to Jerusalem and give it a place of honor. And he, look, listen to this verse, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3. Let us bring the Ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Oh, my God, what an indictment. What's it saying here? Well, let me explain this to you. Saul reigned as king for 42 years. 42 years. He's king. So let's give him the benefit of doubt. Let's say the first couple of years, while it was still fresh, Saul was inquiring. Now, now, let me explain something here. When it says that they did not inquire of the ark, it wasn't that they were talking to a box. Okay, how many of you know what the ark is? Please don't be ashamed if you don't. If you don't, how many of you do not know what the ark is? Be honest, because then I'll take the time to explain. Okay, the ark of the covenant was, was, was a container that God instructed Moses, gave him specific instructions, how to, how to build it, what materials to use, and in that container was a pot of the manna. Remember manna in the desert? The, the Ten Commandments, the second set. Okay. <laughs> And there was a, a kind of like branch by which they had chosen who was going to be the high priest. They took this branch. They kind of left it in, in the presence of God. And this branch belonged to Aaron. And, and this one budded. And, and I think almonds came out of it. In other words, it's a supernatural thing. So you've got manna representing grace. You've got the Ten Commandments representing the law. And you've got this supernatural thing representing the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? So they're in this container. And God told them to carry it every place they went. Now, on the top of that container were two angels. And and we are led to believe, and the scriptures tell us, that the presence of God dwelt between those two angels atop of that container. So wherever they went, they would take it and put it in the most holy place. And only the high priest can go in there once a year into that place. So this is something very sacred. So when you're going to pray... You want to get to as close as, back then, you want to get to as close as you can to the presence of God. 
So what he's saying is we never bother to pray. It's really not about the ark. What he's saying was for the whole reign of Saul for mostly, he never went and prayed. He never counseled with God. He never asked God to get involved in his affairs. He did everything by eyesight. He did everything according to whatever he felt like. So now we're talking about, let's say the first couple of years. So we're talking 40 years, a whole biblical generation was raised up under a man who never prayed and never sought God. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. So, is it possible that we could be guilty of the same thing today? Absolutely. How many of you come from uh, either presently or, or come from a Catholic background? If you're not careful, you will subconsciously come to church here with the same mindset that we had back then. Now, well, it's the priest's job to pray. It's the priest's job to hear from God. It's the priest's job to perform the rituals. You hear what I'm saying? So you come and you go, well, what's the pastor's job? Yeah, and it is. It is my job to pray. And I do, trust me, I do. I, I don't think I would have my sanity still if I didn't have a prayer life. But we're all kings and priests according to the word of God. And you have the responsibility and the honor and the privilege to go to God on behalf of your family, go to God on behalf of your household, go to God on behalf of your children, your grandchildren, the ones that, even, that they don't, they're not even here yet. You listening? So we go, yeah, Saul. Saul was a really bad guy. Saul was just, no, Saul was bad. Saul was bad. Yeah, well, what about us? Now, mind you, I'm not making excuses, but those people didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside them. We do. We do. Prayerlessness is proof that a person has not put God first in their life. I don't know about you. If we claim we love somebody, you want to talk to them. You want to spend time with them. You want to seek their counsel. You want to talk things over. You want to, you want to get input. However, if we pray on a regular basis, and this isn't about rules and regulations, it's about relationship. Listen, should, 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 should I have to tell a husband, you're supposed to tell your wife you love them. You're supposed to show your affection. You're supposed to, you're supposed to make them special. Would you agree that if somebody, if you have to constantly get in the face of an individual to have to remind them to do this, something's wrong? Something's wrong. If you have to constantly tell a wife, listen, you need to respect your husband. You need to honor him. But he's a bump. You need to honor him. Why? Because he deserves it? No, but because God says so. We realize something. Listen, let me talk about something very basic, and then we're going we're gonna to call quits for tonight. Did you learn anything? Yes. Those of you that are married or have been married or are contemplating getting married, do you realize that when you, in, that, in a Christian biblical marriage ceremony, when you recite your vows, you're not really vowing to the person. The principle is you are vowing to God that you're going to take care of that person. That person is vowing to God that they're going to take care of you. If you don't fulfill that, 
Your problem is not with that other person. You've made a promise to God. I know that's sobering, but somebody's got to bring it out because too many marriages today are very flippant and very, well, it didn't work. Got nothing to do with getting work. Well, you know, I probably should have never married him. Well, guess what? You got to give me a night. <laughs> At least they're going to carry water for you. <laughs> Cut your wood. Oh, I'm getting in trouble tonight. <laughs> but it's tough, Pastor. I should have never. Hey, wait, but you did. Now, listen. And don't get mad at me. If you'll repent from not praying, God will give you the grace. Let me tell you, I've seen some of the greatest marriages come out of potential disasters. Because somebody in that relationship said, you know what? Maybe we don't get along that great. Maybe this is tough. Maybe, you know, maybe I should have married the doctor down the street. But you know what? We made a promise to God. Now, I know you're sitting there going, oh, this is so old school. Honey, old school didn't have a 50% divorce rate. Now, listen, if you've gone through that, please don't. This is, I'm not trying to pour salt in your wound. But wouldn't you rather learn from your mistakes or would you rather repeat them? You made a covenant with God Almighty that you're going to cherish that person, that you're going to nourish that person, that you're going to nurture them that you're going to lay your life down for them. But it's not easy. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> not easy. Not supposed to be easy. You got two opposite people living together. When has that ever been easy? You listening to me? But listen, God honors people who honor covenant. And he will give you the grace. Now, listen, if you're living with a maniac that's beating the life out of you, pack your bag and get out of that house. Not talking about that. Too many people stay in relationships that they're not supposed to stay into. But you know what I'm talking about. This has been coming up lately. Somebody must be going through something. Because the past few services, this same thing's been coming up. If that's you, take heed. Listen. Yeah, but you know, I deserve to have my knees met. No, no, we deserve to go to hell. What are you saying? I should be a slave all my No, I'm just saying that you should give God an opportunity to work in that relationship. Not be so, listen. There's a saying that's been rolling around on the inside that I used to hear my grandparents saying. It's pretty much biblical. The one who leaves the old path knows what they left, but doesn't know what they're going to find. There's a lot of wisdom in that. You know what you, at least, it, it, better to have the devil that you know <laughs> than the devil that you don't know. Are you listening to me? So listen, are, are we going to at least make an attempt to start acknowledging God and the decisions that we need to make? Are we at least going to make a promise that Father, and listen, I know we're going to forget this. I know, because we're human beings. So, so the way I pray is this. Holy Spirit, you know me. Once this wears off, I'm not going to remember this, and I'm, I'm going to be very, very, it's a very good possibility I'm going to make the same mistake again. So Holy Spirit, 
you have been deposited in me to be my teacher. Would you please, when I'm faced with the next decision, will you please remind me of this principle? Father, I don't want any more Gibeonites in my life. Are you listening to me? Why don't you stand up? Let's pray that. Let's pray that. Say this out loud with me. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, I present myself to you you this night. night. And I'm asking you, you, in Jesus' name, name, the next time I'm faced with a decision, the next time time I need direction, direction, I pray pray that the Holy Spirit Spirit would remind me of these principles we learned tonight. And that I would pray and ask your guidance and acknowledge you in all my ways so that you, Father, can direct my path. I thank you that you will keep this promise that you've made to me in Proverbs chapter 3. I bless you. I honor you. I thank you for this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.